Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to another edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg. Find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by my college basketball partner in crime, Bill Christie. You know him on gambling Twitter as Lucha Larry at Larry's Law. We're going to break down the Sweet 16 and give out some plays and talk a little bit about the Elite Eight. First two regional finals are tonight as we record on a Monday morning. You probably listen, hoping we can keep you busy on your lunch hour or somewhere along the way throughout this Monday day in the month of March. Normally, we'd have a final four set by now, but the different schedule, we got to wait another 48 hours as over the next days, we'll get down to four teams left in Indianapolis. Bill, it's great to have you back again. How are we doing? Doing pretty good. Last night ended on a good note, right? We had uh, yep. our consensus play from the last pod of, of USC looking like the team that we thought that they would be. Um, and I, hey, I said it from the get-go <clears throat> that I only saw two teams that would probably be able to compete with Baylor. Or, I'm sorry, with uh, Gonzaga. USC being one of them, Baylor being the other. Right. We're definitely getting the USC matchup tomorrow night. But uh, hopefully, well, I don't know, depending on what we see going forward, maybe we get the Baylor matchup in the national title game. But, you know, obviously we'll get to it a little bit later. I was a little surprised to see that line come out as big as it did for this USC game, which makes me weary. Um but I, I do think it's going to be a competitive game. U- USC looked like the team that uh, I, I sort of expected to see at some point this season uh, with all their length and pretty good guard play going forward. Uh, it was exciting to see them get the job done against their uh, in-conference rivals, conference of champions, the conference that seems to... Uh, three of the eight. Yes, three of the eight. It's, it's unbelievable to see, and, you know, Kudos to them. They're getting some national recognition now, finally. Well-deserved. Yeah, it's all big underdogs, uh, so I'm sure if they just got one to the Final Four, that'd be a victory for the league. Absolutely. But, yeah, there's, you know, we're going to chat a little bit about the Sweet 16 games <clears throat> in the coming yeah, minutes here. Yeah, by the way, you mentioned USC. i got to call a violation. Our own producer, Alex Uplinger, decided <laughs> to fade the consensus play. And Jake Morgan, listen, obviously, we've had plenty of consensus plays going down the drain. But, come on. Like, we, we it's not like we do this twice a week during college basketball season or anything, and he right. 
most loyal listener. So a little disappointed in Alex, and let's just say he got what he deserved as you actually with <laughs> a wire-to-wire cover. Or, yeah, well, hopefully he didn't lose too much on that one. I'm sure, as you say at the end of every podcast, hopefully he uh, gambled responsibly on that one. There you go, exactly. So, hey, nothing wrong with anybody that wants to take the other side. That's what we always say. The only enemy is the book, and if we're wrong and and you fade us and, and you cash your own ticket, then good on you. So um, on that note, let's just react a little bit to what we saw the last couple of days. I guess we'll go in chronological order and circle back to USC and Oregon maybe a little bit more. But, Bill, I think the first game of the regional semifinals – was probably the most surprising one. I did not. I really thought that the rubber was going to meet the road for Oregon State here. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the run that they had made and how it did kind of feel like, okay, here's Loyola Chicago uh, coming in, obviously off the Illinois win. And you know, normally in a uh, in a regular season type setting, you know, if this was back in December when we're in non conference play, like I might think, okay, maybe flat spot because. <laughs> They might be playing two, three days after that win, but they had a whole week. So right. I definitely was not expecting Loyola Chicago to really look kind of flat at times um, Saturday afternoon. And, you know, like I said, it did feel like this was where the end of the line came for Oregon State, a team that I don't want to take any credit away from them, but, you know, we talked last week uh, when we were kind of running through the reactions from the first weekend you know Rick Barnes in March just seems to find a way to choke and and let another one get away against Oregon State and then you know Oklahoma State just did not play its best game in that round of 32 matchup and again full credit to the Beavers for keeping this going but um, I think undoubtedly that was their most impressive victory of the three they've picked up in March Madness thus far. Yeah I agree it was definitely a shock to me I was I was actually driving around um, during the beginning of this game I was headed to a, a birthday party, and I had Loyola first half. I also took Oregon under Oregon State under first half team total. And, and I was and watching I the game. A lot cast. of money line parlays for the weekend got blown up pretty quickly. Oh, sure, I'm sure. Um, but look at I. The score was like five to one with like six minutes into the first half, which was like, all right, this is perfect for me. At least I mean, I got my team up. Uh, I got Oregon State team total. Uh, looking pretty low, um, and I'm like, you know what? This is just perfect for Loyola Chicago. This is what they want. <clears throat> they want a slow, uh, low-scoring game, grind it out, because at the end of the day, they're they're the best defensive team. And uh, I'm like, yeah, this is just going to play out just how I thought. All of a sudden, Oregon starts catch. Oregon State starts knocking shots down. Uh, they I still hit the under, the team total, um, but obviously not the first half. And as soon as that first half ended, I was like, you know what, they're going to be in trouble because Loyola Chicago isn't a team that really does a great job of playing from behind, obviously, because they're such a good defensive team. Um, they seem to be the type of team that when, when they have a lead in the second half, they're able to control the pace <clears throat> and they're able to get the job done. But this Oregon State team, man, credit to Coach Tinkle out there in Oregon State. He, he's done a phenomenal job. Everybody wrote them off. They've proven this game they can really play almost any different any style of basketball um, and be successful. You know that being said, I will have a play most likely on this Oregon State Houston game, and I'll get into that later. But um, yeah, hats off to Oregon State. I really thought this little Chicago team was going to repeat what they did uh, on the Final Four run. Uh, yeah, it looked that way. I got a feeling Coach Moser is not going to be there too too much longer in, in Loyola. So. We'll see what happens with that. Obviously, he's not getting the Indiana job, but... Yeah, how about that? Mike Woodson. I mean, uh, I, I didn't even know he went to Indiana until yesterday. Neither did I. <clears throat> I mean, I feel like that's going to be like a, uh, a position where he'll end up getting let go, and you'll see the uh, whatever his new title is, associate athletic director slash assistant head coach that model. You're saying in like two, three years, though. Like, yeah, 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 I can yeah. see that happen. Like, it, it almost seems like that's what they put in place, right? Like... You know, you're not that confident in Mike Woodson. That's why you have Fad Mod on staff now. Just, yeah, I, I guess. But at the same time, well. why why make that kind of hire? Like you're Indiana. Like you should be able to get almost well, anyone you want if your job is as prestigious as you believe right. it to be. <clears throat> but who believes it to be? That's the thing. You you said it. They believe it to be. Let's be real. Like the so Indiana they don't then if they hired Mike Woodson, a guy who was basically courted by no other school. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like Indiana yeah. is not. I don't think Indiana is that great of a program. 
You take yeah. – and the great. Look, you can make the argument, you take Coach K out of Duke. What is the Duke program? You know, you take the, the Bobby Knight. Of the Bob, Nate, Bob Knight days there. Then. Yeah, like they're not, they're not that great. If you look over the history of the Big Ten – I thought he did a decent job in his time there. He did okay, but I would argue that he had higher expectations, yeah. some of the talent that he brought in there, and never right. got the job done. You know, and we talk about the Big, Big Ten being one of the top conferences year in and year out now. I mean, when you look at it, and we you know, never talk about Indiana being at the top nope. of that conversation. Nope, not at all. You talk about, you know, Wisconsin has a ton of years of, of great, great basketball teams. Uh, Purdue even has had really good, strong teams recently. Iowa's having strong teams recently. Indiana has not been in that mix. So when people talk about, you know, the allure of this Indiana job, I don't think it's there. You that. know, yeah. Well, I, then let I still... me ask you to bring it back to Porter Moser, mm-hmm. we just saw Craig Smith hired by Utah and Shaka leaving and go to Marquette. So I guess at least Texas, correct me if I'm wrong, is the only marquee job open right now. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And hey, I, I don't know why. I don't know what people are waiting for. Like, why would you wait on this guy? He's and look at you. Just you just saw what a guy like you know Andy Eiffel did in that kind of program in Florida Gulf Coast. How well it translated when he was brought over to USC. I mean, I think. You know, Coach Moser has got to get an opportunity at one of these high-level schools because at the end of the day, though, like Bill, there's been a lot of talk, and honestly, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with it. There's been a lot of talk about him maybe making the long-term play at, at Loyola Chicago and turning them, in, in, them into a Midwest Gonzaga or you know a, a Midwest Villanova that type of program. And, and you're in a big city, and we know you know sh- Chicago is certainly not lacking you know prep talent. Derek Rose, Jabari Parker, just some of the names to come out of the uh, Simeon High School there. So I, I don't know. I, I don't. If I were him, let's say I, I would not be in a rush to get out of there. Is all I'm saying. No, I agree. Look, it's all personal preference, right? Like, why leave a good thing? Like you mentioned, you know, Villanova. Jay, why would you go anywhere? Like every single year, oh, I feel like it's rumored Jay he's going to the, the last, Sixers. This was the last straw that when he yeah, had to show interest in the Sixers. Like, no, like why? He's he such a good thing there. There's, there's no reason to go. It all comes down again. It's personal preference. If there's somebody like. You know, I'm, I'm mentioning Coach Moser. If he feels like he has something to prove or he wants to try his hand at one of the power conferences, I totally get going. I get the guys that leave college and try the NBA and end up going back to Even college. Even Beeline, that one was a little weird for me. Yeah, but again, you're not in his shoes, right? Like, if I'm yeah. putting myself in his shoes, if, if I'm if I'm thinking, look, it, I've done a I've done a ton. Let's be real. His resume in college between West Virginia and Michigan has been phenomenal. How he's turned those programs around. When he, when he went into the NBA, granted, it was not a good fit. I think a lot of people saw it as not a good fit before he got there. But at the end of the day, he has to live with that decision. He wanted to try it. Yeah. And he probably looked yeah. at it as, hey, it's yes, I, I failed, but I tried it. Whereas if he would have stayed at Michigan and never, ever got a chance to test the waters in the NBA, he would have that regret for the rest of his life going, I don't know if I would have ever made in the NBA. But at least now he can sit back and say, hey, I tried it. But again, at the end of the day, it's personal preference, whatever it is. You know, the coach and their family feels is the best fit. More power to them. All I'm saying is Coach Moser's done a phenomenal job. And if he's not getting the opportunity, you know, it's one thing to be asked. It's another thing to actually accept it. So if people aren't asking this guy to come in for an interview, they're totally missing out on a golden opportunity because the guy has proven it that he's, he can do it year in and year out. So kudos to him again. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Uh, so another second weekend there for him. And I suppose, Bill, the one thing to wrap this conversation up before we move on, the mm-hmm. one thing that I do think plays into the, the – probably the biggest thing that works into the advantage of these power schools uh, and, and maybe could lure him away would mm-hmm. be the fact that, like, at the end of the day, if you're Porter Mosier – and this is something that Mark Few worked to overcome in the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga. But are you willing to get out of bed each morning during the season knowing that your league may full well be a one-bid league? And what you do from November to February in any given season may not matter because you're going to have to win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. That is, I think, the biggest thing that he has to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we saw Drake get in, which I think was good, because I think we need to see, we talked about this too, the mid-major that goes 30-4 and four or whatever, but loses in the conference tournament championship game or semifinal or whatever, that team needs to get in over the 500 yeah. Big Ten team. 
Yep. Yeah, it, it's funny you said this. I actually had a conversation with a good buddy of mine uh, last week, and I'm going to run off this real quick for you. And I agree. Like, that's the decision he has to make. Like, is he comfortable with having chances of being a, a two-loss team and then having to still win their conference tournament just to get in the big dance? That's something to struggle with. Southern Utah, 20-4. and four. Belmont, 26-4. and four. Navy, 15-3. and three. Nichols, I mean, 18-7, but they were 14-2 and two in their conference. Prairie View, 16-5, undefeated in conference. South Dakota State, 16-7. Texas State, 18-7, 12-3 in conference. All those teams I just named had all won their conference regular season title. The fact that those teams don't get in, and teams like you mentioned, uh, a Missouri team, 16-10, a North Carolina, 18-11, a Michigan State, 15-13, who, oh, by the way, all got bounced in the first game. Well, and then, not only that, but Missouri gets, what, a 9 and yeah, gets an 8. Well, it's Chicago gets an 8. Yeah. <laughs> They're right there with these teams. And, and again, and I was this is where I was going to go with the conversation. So we were talking about how, you know, rankings don't seem to matter, and this is evident of it, right? Like, you put out these preseason rankings, they change so much. Come the end of the year, they change completely. I would argue that, you know, the, the ratings on Kempom, right? Like, we've talked about this all year long. They, he had Loyola as a number nine team in the country. Right. The country. Right. And the, and the selection committee puts them as a nine or an eight seed overall. That's a slap in the face. When you look at it analytically, there's, there's a much difference between Loyola Chicago and a team like North Carolina, statistically. And when you put it on paper. But when it comes down to the selection and it comes down to dollars, let's be real, North Carolina is the one that's going to get more money, more more revenue for the uh, TV programs and for the NCAA. That's why they get to where they are. Because when you sit down there and you play, put these teams on the court together, I would argue that Loyola should be favored against a team. I, all three of those teams Loyola should be favored against. No doubt. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a shame. I think they really have to revisit it. And again, we, we talk about it all the time, right? Like, this is the time where they should really open the tournament, extend it, make it more, make more teams in it, um, and this is the opportunity to do it. Like, like reward these smaller conferences because let's be real, these mid, these major programs are, if they're not caught up, they are right on the tail of all the other programs in the country. They are right there. So, you well, know, and that's, thing, that's why I think if this is what ultimately gets Porter Moser out of Loyola Chicago, it would be disappointing because mm-hmm. at that point then it's just the NCAA malpractice and not, yeah. you know, anything that Loyola did or didn't do. Right. No, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. That'd be disappointing. As far as the rest of the games on Saturday, a little bit of a scratchy start there for Baylor, uh, but the Bears, and obviously with that experience that they have in the backcourt, uh, they can come at you pretty quickly there, uh, and they find a way to right the ship. Uh, I, I was pretty nervous as a Baylor backer, but they got there for me in the end. Probably the best game of the whole Sweet, sweet 16 on Saturday uh, bet- between Oral Roberts and Arkansas. And yeah. then obviously not a whole lot of drama, unfortunately for us, me mm-hmm. as a Syracuse backer. And I know you had the orange in that pool in yeah. the final game on Saturday night. Uh, what did you take from the rest of the game Saturday? <clears throat> uh, the Syracuse game was probably... Uh, the most obvious loser that I knew. Like, I knew it, right? Like, before the game. What, it's used to get out, like, 12-2 or something? Yeah, and the fact, like, again, everybody, the, the typical gambling Twitter curse, like, literally everybody was on Syracuse Moneyline. And then I looked at it, too. I, I, I'm i looking at the tickets and percentages, and, like, 80-some percent was on Syracuse Moneyline at 2-1. to one. And right before the game, I was with my brother-in-law. I'm like, yeah, what did, what, what did it kick off at? He's got a plus 210. I was like, this is dead in the water. They have no chance. If there's 80% of the money on them and it's going up as opposed to down, like, come mm-hmm. on. And you're right. Like, Houston came out, put put the, you know, what was it, 12-2, I think he said, out of the gate. And this Syracuse brought it back 20-20. I'm like, all right, we got a shot here. And 10-0 run in the half. All right, see you later. This game's over. And, you know, I think the other piece of that was everybody was kind of blinded by the fact that how good Syracuse is playing. Oh, my God, Buddy Bayheim And Houston should have lost to the Rutgers. You're right. Different game, though, you know, like totally different game. And Houston looked like an actual two-seed in that one. And then you mentioned Baylor-Villanova. Villanova played as well as they could have played. Baylor was able to pull it out in the end. It was great. Arkansas-Oral-Roberts was a phenomenal game. That was like the one game this uh, tournament. You're not going to get really a better felt. look, too, at the end of the game. No. Nope. You could not ask for more than what they got. Absolutely. I would take that, you know, ten times out of ten if I'm Exactly. So, yeah, it, it was exciting. Good set of games. And then – uh. You know, I'm sure we're going to get into it here about last night. So as far as Sunday, 
you know, the Gonzaga train keeps rolling, uh, and it. I kind of felt like, and I know you agreed with me that the number was a little high there, but gosh, they they they, they still cover another game there. Um, and then, Bill, I thought the most impressive thing of the whole weekend, probably as far as teams that won, it's got to be Michigan, right? Yeah. I mean, you could maybe argue USC, but I, I was surprised that Michigan, not necessarily won, right? Mm-hmm. Because I had voiced some concern. I was on Florida State. I voiced some concern over that being kind of a square dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, win by 18 and yeah. do it in the way they did, where every time, you know, I was grabbing dinner at a sports bar last night, and, you know, every time I looked at the score, uh, it was double digits Michigan, double digits Michigan, and it never really looked like Florida State had a great chance of winning the game. So that surprised me a good deal. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm a big Michigan guy. Uh, and when, when Livers went down, I was super concerned. Uh, especially after that bad loss to Michigan State. But, you know, hindsight, you look at it and, like, they didn't really care about that game, right? Like, the game meant nothing. Um, and I feel like, you know, Jawan Howard's done an absolute magnificent job with this program, especially with this team. Uh, and they just seem prepared for every game that they go into. Like, they, they knew exactly what to take advantage of offensively. You know, they, they had their bigs inside that just kept sealing. They were going high-low, high-low, high-low all game long. It was as easy as it came for them, um, and they just—they just seem like they have a team that can do like everything. Like they can play any kind of style too. You know what I mean? Like they can get up and down with anybody. If they want to sit down and play half court set, they can do that. Uh, they have multiple guys on the floor that can handle the ball at times, uh, and they're dangerous. Like I feel like everybody just keeps doubting them, and they just keep proving people wrong. You know, and now we got them, you know, going up against a team in in UCLA that nobody really expected to be there, and. You know, I think this is the first time the line has shown a little bit of respect to Michigan so far. So, right. you know, maybe things will change there. But, yeah, they were definitely, to me, the most impressive win of the day yesterday. And I know we talk about USC. They were very impressive as well. But um, I expected that more so. Florida than State's probably a stronger opponent than Oregon. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. so and, and Michigan got more margin than USC did. Lastly, uh, well, I'll get it. I got some good things to say about UCLA towards the end of the mm-hmm. podcast. Hint, hint. But, mm-hmm. but for the love of God, Bill, like every time inside ah. five seconds, foul oh up God. three. Like, what are they doing? Did you were you watching that game where you could actually hear the? Analysts? I was. I heard it on the radio. So, so literally the entire time during the timeouts, they kept talking about. Mick Cronin is a foul up three guy. Mick Cronin is a foul up three guy. But it was, in, but wait, it was interesting. I don't know. Did you hear Coach Cronin's comments asking me about it? With the sideline reporter, I did. Yeah, where he said, you know, if I fail, because it was only they only had fourteen fails, I think he said. Then it goes to the then it goes to a, a side out. They get a good look, and God forbid, I foul them while they're shooting there. I look like an absolute idiot. Whereas he's saying, like, if it's if I know it's going to one and one, I'm gonna fail there. So like I kinda get it a little bit That's in that respect. Okay. And and look, wasn't that their center that took the shot? Uh yeah, it was a big guy, yeah. So. I mean, like you saw him let it go. He shot it like almost like a Joachim Noah with two hands. It's like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like how many times is that gonna go in? Uh but yeah, I, I know we've talked about it plenty of times. I am 100 percent on board with the uh, foul up three under five. But that was inter- I never thought of it that way. You so know, he had 14 fouls, fouls, so he would have he would have had two to give, and then yeah. he would have had to still give one more to get him in the bonus. Right. So that's All that's five potential, seconds. That's potentially yeah. That's potentially three mistakes. And like you always say, we always forget these are 18, 20 year old kids. Right. You like know, if they're if they're all right. All it takes right. is one of those three yep. fouls that you have to send them to the line. Yep. For the guy to be going on the way up, yeah, right, going for right, going for three as opposed to, you know, the one and one or shooting two. So, in that, I I kind of understand it a little bit more. But, you know, either way, I'm 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 found. <laughs> I, I am too. I'm I'm living with the chances there that they have to, the timing of the foul has to kind of happen at the right point for Alabama. And let's not forget, Bill. Alabama was not shooting well from the free throw line. Oh my god! So, that so was... even if that did happen, right? You're talking about them having to go to the line to make three. Right. True. You yeah, know? And exactly. if they miss one of the first two, then you're in the exact situation where that third one they have to miss and get the rebound. So, right. 
Yeah, I mean, just the probability of it all says, I get it, they weren't shooting that well from the three-point line either, but mm-hmm. what's harder, making one three or yep. making the first free throw? Because right, that's the thing, right? You have to make the first one. You know, if you right. miss the first one when you're trying to make it, mm-hmm. you're going to miss that one, and you're still down three. You right. know, so you have to make the first, then you have to miss the second, and put the rebound back in. Like, all of those things that have to happen is just way harder than making one three. Yeah, it's true. So, but let's get into it now as we'll talk some regional final action now. We'll start with the two games taking place tonight, starting with the Oregon State Beavers catching, it looks like, a touchdown here, seven, seven and a half, I believe it's ticked up to, against the Houston Cougars, total of 129. Bill, you, I think, have a play here. You like Houston. Yeah, I, I really do. And the reason that I'm probably going to be backing them here is when I was mentioning earlier about Loyola Chicago, they were such a good defensive team. Um, I, I want to say they were number one in the country in defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, Houston is six. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, if Houston's a little bit softer of a defense than this Loyola team, Oregon State had no problem handling, uh, they should be able to handle this Houston defense. But when you look at it a little bit deeper, uh, and I'm talking about Ken Palm's miscellaneous components, being, meaning their three-point percentage defense, two-point percentage defense, Loyola is not anywhere near as good as this Houston team is. Houston is number eight in the country in uh, defending the three, the number four in the country in defending a uh, two-point field goal, whereas I'd have to pull it back up, but Loyola was not near that. Um, so when you look at it that way, and and Oregon State, their better portion of their offense is from the deep ball. Uh, they don't shoot, they're only shooting – 46.8% from the field outside the three-point line. Uh, so that's good for 278th in the country. So, And this Houston team, man, they just make teams look uncomfortable, right? Like they're just all over the ball, all over the ball you know, mm-hmm. whoever whoever's handling the ball. I feel like everybody on their, on their uh, team can defend almost any position. Um, and then offensively, it's so weird. Like they're like a, uh, I guess like a better North Carolina you know, when I, in terms of how I say, like, North Carolina's offense this whole year where their best play was the missed, uh, missed shot, right? Like, this Houston team is second in the country, only behind North Carolina in offensive rebound uh, percentage. So they'll just take some terrible-looking shots, but it's like, I know it's not by design, but it almost looks like it's by design because all their guys crash the offensive glass so hard, and they get these second chances. Sometimes they're getting third and fourth chances, uh, and I think that's going to be the difference in this game. I think they're going to be able to really make Oregon State uncomfortable on the offensive end and just defend on the off, or sorry on Oregon State's offensive end. And when Houston has the ball and they're just all over this offensive glass, I think that they're going to be able to just score not score at will, but it's going to seem like they're scoring at will with the fact that they're handling Oregon State uh, on the other end so well and. They shoot the ball decent from the foul line. They're they're uh, uh, over seventy three percent from the foul line. So if it comes down to foul shots, they can knock down their foul shots. Um, and again, Oregon State, it's it's got to end at some point. It's been a magical run. Uh, they've been fun to watch. Again, kudos to those guys out there. Uh, and I think this is where it's going to end. I think Houston. I like Houston. I like Houston big in this one. Yeah, I, I had to pass this game, and and, and it's just because. I have no feel for Oregon State whatsoever right now. I mean, it's just like you look at the stats, and obviously there's a big edge for Houston, right? I mean, Houston rolled right through the American, you know, won the championship game in the tournament by like 30 or whatever against Cincinnati. And, yeah. um, you know, they've played three double-digit seeds. Now, how about that? A fourth double-digit seed for Houston to get to the Final Four. So it's not going to be much better than that when it talks about a path. Mm-hmm. for a number two seed out of a region. Um, but I don't know. Like, there's just something I, – I, I, I just – to best sum it up, like, I have no idea what I'm getting with Oregon State now. I feel like at any given time they could look like the team that wasn't going to make the tournament mm-hmm. in the Pac-12. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, on that hand, yeah, I could definitely see what you're saying here where Houston comes out and – and, and gets off to the same start that they did against Cuse, and then all of a sudden, you know. Because that's the thing, too. I feel like Oregon State, for the most part in their wins, you look up and they got the lead, and, and, and it's the higher seed in the game that has had the pressure on them and hasn't really responded well. So what happens when Oregon State gets in that same spot that Syracuse was in? You know, then right. then I, I, I question if they're going to be able to, to battle back. And, and, and you're right. right about Houston and that performance against 
Syracuse. It was definitely reassuring. I don't know uh, if you have a Houston Futures ticket. I don't. Remember, I I wish I did. I talked about it. You talked about that back in November, yeah. Yeah, preseason pod, you were – you challenged me to pick a team, uh, kind of major, yeah, yeah, mid major. You think could make the run? I said it was Houston, yeah, but you know what? The value wasn't that great. I think it was only twenty five to one at the time, sure. um, yeah. which you think it might have been better at some point, maybe during the year. But real quick before we jump off of this game, if you look at Ken Palm's uh, rankings, they have Houston as the number three team in the country, right? Baylor two, Gonzaga one. Baylor plays Arkansas, who's ranked 18th. Gonzaga plays USC, who's ranked 6th. Michigan's number 4. They're playing UCLA, ranked 16th. Right. All those lines are what? And Oregon State, 43rd. Yeah, Oregon State is 43rd. So, again, if if this comes anywhere near the typical Oregon State team, not the one that's been on this run, but, you know, you figure it's got to end at some point, uh, I think this is likely where it's going to end. Uh, right. just, just again, because, look, you said that they've been, they seem to be the team that's been up the whole time. Well, last game they weren't, right? I just mentioned that. They were struggling offensively against Loyola Chicago, but Loyola Chicago yeah, doesn't have the point lead at half, though. No, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm getting to. Like, they didn't have, Loyola doesn't have the offense to put them away early like this Houston team could. Like, if they're, if they have 1.7 minutes into the first half against Houston, Houston's not going to be sitting there at five. Houston's going to be sitting there with 15 or 20. And, you know, then you're like, holy shit, they ain't going to be able to come back from this deficit. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, uh, can't play this game. I, and, you know, maybe the slightest of leans to Houston. Our last thing, though, that I'll ask you, Bill, backing Houston, because we've talked about loyal, or rather, Oregon State kind of being in these spots where, they've kind of kept the pressure on the favorite uh, most of their wins here, and, and they haven't really been uh, having to answer the bell behind in a lot of these games. I, I'll ask you, as a Houston backer, are you, like, let's say that they had an uglier win against Syracuse and it was more along the lines of the Rutgers game, even if they covered, because it was, uh, I think their line was longer against Rutgers than it was against Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um like, does that change how you're looking at this game? Like, I thought just from the eye test perspective that Houston played a lot better in the Sweet 16. And if I was backing Houston, that would make me feel better here. Does that factor in at all for you? It's, it's, it's a good question. It's just tough to answer because it was Syracuse. If it was like almost any other team in the country, I would say I'd probably be a little bit more concerned. But the fact that Syracuse plays that zone, it's, it's just a totally different uh, – matchup than you're going to see with any other team. So, like, I almost want to say, like, I kind of throw it out in a way. Interesting. Um, because, you know, you, you know, I get what you're saying. Like, they looked so bad against Rutgers, you know, and people would probably want to fade them against Syracuse. Now they look so good against Syracuse. Don't you want to kind of fade them now uh, against Oregon State? So I get you what no, you're I'm saying. saying. Like, does the fact that they played well make you like them more here? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Uh but I would say the fact that more so because they had that game against Rutgers. Like, I always feel like there's you know, teams that make these uh, Final Four runs are always right, but they get pushed the first game. Right. Yeah, and it's like how they bounce back. Like, they just be like, oh, shit, and then they take the loss. Or they come out and look like, okay, we got our wake-up call. Now it's time to go. Um, right. They, they, they know what to do against teams that are making these magical runs, right? Like, they knocked off – uh, the Syracuse team that everybody liked, and now this is the next one. Oregon State, that well, team. Well, and even the Rutgers, so. right? I mean, that was their yeah. first NCAA tournament win in, like, 30 years or something. Yep. All double-digit season. I'll tell you this right now. when If Houston wins this game, which I expect them to win, <clears throat> and then they get – who do they get in the uh, Final Four? Baylor or Arkansas, right? Yeah. So if they're if they come into, let's say, Baylor – Right, because they're they're the heavy favorite. <clears throat> if they're matched up with this Baylor team and that line is like three, or four, man, I, oh, oh my god, yeah. Because you know people are gonna be like, oh, they haven't played it, they haven't even played a single yeah, four double yet. Game. Right, exactly. Right, that's gonna be the story. You know it's gonna be coming. So we'll see what happens tonight, <clears throat> and then when the line pops out like tomorrow, so it'll be interesting. Let's go to that Arkansas Baylor game uh, where I believe this is the South Regional Final. Um, and it is, uh, and it'll be the second game on the slate on Monday evening. We're seeing Baylor laying also that seven and a half against Arkansas, a total of 148. And Bill, I'll be honest, like you kind of already got to this. Mm-hmm. I have a play here on Arkansas. You mentioned the, the disparity or, the, or maybe the lack thereof with these lines, and that's why I think one of these dogs has to be live here, and Arkansas probably 
is my best. Uh, I think the I don't want to say best bet. I don't love them, but I do mm-hmm. like them enough to make a bet here on the Razorbacks. I think they're the of all these dogs, the greatest chance to win the game outright is Arkansas. Um, and like, so that's the first thing that when I, I want to get to with these lines, like, are you telling me that the difference between Arkansas and Baylor is the same just from a pure power rating standpoint is the same as Oregon State and Houston? Like, I don't think I'm buying that. And then let's just look at it from a Baylor opponent perspective. Uh, I got seven. I don't know what it closed against Villanova, but you're saying that now Arkansas and Villanova are basically the same team? Like, and that's a Villanova team without Gillespie? Like, I don't think I'm buying that either. So, and and let's be honest, like, Villanova was winning, you know, first we talked about it. In the first half, Nova played well. So, what did Baylor show? Like, it's, it's not like you upgraded Baylor after that game, and that would explain... Arkansas being the same priced underdog as Villanova. Like, I just don't, I just think this line's off by a couple points. So that right there makes me think that Arkansas is the side. Uh, here's another interesting thing, and I suppose this shouldn't come as a huge surprise because it's not like the SEC was a juggernaut this year. Arkansas only once this entire season has been a dog of more than one possession, and it was all the way back on January the 6th. It covered in a 79-74 loss against Tennessee. So now you might look at that as a negative, right? And say, well, now they're facing a team that they're clearly inferior to, which they haven't done most of the year. How are they going to respond? I tend to go the other way and just think, you know what? I know they were an 11-point favorite against Oral Roberts. I know that, you know, uh, actually, it was I believe they were a short dog against Texas Tech in that uh, round of 32 game, or maybe it was a pick. But yeah. nonetheless, you know, I like the fact that Arkansas has found ways to win these close games. And, and they're undoubtedly going to have to bring their best tonight because Oral Roberts had the lead for a good majority of that game on Saturday. Um, but I, I think there's something to uh, finding ways to get it done in the guts of the game. And again, I'm getting seven and a half points with that kind of team right now. That makes me like that. Then when we look to the X's and O's and the tactical matchup, Arkansas is 10th in defensive efficiency to Baylor's third in offensive efficiency. So it's a little bit of a strength versus strength there. Um, and the Hogs are not a very good outside shooting team. So I think that the path here for Arkansas is to try and hunker down on defense and turn those stops into some transition offense. I looked at the tempo metrics, and that would kind of support that too. Razorbacks 17th in adjusted tempo to Baylor's 179th. So I think we know with that experience, right, Baylor's always going to be confident in its ability to convert in the half court, and they don't mind playing a slower game if they have to do that, and they can shoot really well too. So it's not like Baylor's looking to beat you 60 to 58. We can certainly see Baylor score in the 70s and 80s with ease. Um, but I think if you're Arkansas, you're going to say, all right, Baylor, like, go ahead. And if you want to play a slower game, so be it. We're confident enough that we're going to defend well enough that it's going to open up some easy buckets in transition for us. So that's why I think the matchup might play a little bit to Arkansas's hands as well. Last point here. We always talk about free throw shooting with the underdog. Arkansas is a better free throw shooting team, 74% from the charity stripe to Baylor's 70%. You're going to give me seven and a half points with Arkansas. I'm going to take them. Let's go Razorbacks. Yeah, I'm not going to have a play. I know I talked to you uh, prior to the pod. I do have a couple tickets on this Arkansas team to win the title, so I'm going to be rooting for that. Uh, the thing that does worry me, though, is kind of what you mentioned, right? Like they, they'll either start off slow or rightly against Colgate uh, and against Texas Tech. They had deficits early of almost double digits. Uh, they were able to come back, rally back, and, and win the games outright. And the Oral Roberts game, they looked like they were in trouble for most of that second half. They were able to come out and pull the game out. But uh, let's be real. Like, this Baylor team is is not Oral Roberts. They're not Colgate. Uh, I guess you can sort of kind of compare Texas Tech to them. Um, but when it comes to offense, it's kind of night and day between Baylor and those three teams. So if Arkansas does – you know, slip up a little bit early on and and gets down early. It could get they could get down to the point where it's just it's too much for them to overcome. And even if it's 
not, and they're able to like crawl back into it, they might just exert themselves so much they're not going to be able to to finish it off. And I know you know what you're going to say. You're getting that, all those points, and 100% right. It could easily fall within that line. I just don't. I just don't com- feel comfortable uh, placing the action on them in this one, just because of the fact that if God forbid that they just hit that dry spell early and Baylor's right. firing all cylinders, and you're talking about being well, 15. And, and that's a good point. Like I'm not even necessarily saying that I'm going to double dip and take Arkansas first half, but I, mm-hmm. I think if you want to, it's not a bad idea because. Uh, what would it be? I think it's 1950, the last time Baylor went to the Final Four. It's something forever. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think what I would look at, though, that I'm, I don't know if I'd play it or not, so but I'm, I'm curious. I think maybe if, if, if you're Arkansas, you have to like keep the game close and try and make Baylor think about that a little bit, which yeah. won't happen if they get blown out. Yeah, 1950 was their last Final Four. Wow. Yeah. So I, the one thing I would look at, though, is if, if it does happen, you know, if you see Arkansas jump out early and they're up a bunch, um, if you can snag a... Uh, an early line, or I'm sorry, if you see Middle. Baylor up big uh, early on, maybe you can snag a really, really nice Arkansas uh, line at like, you know, plus 14 or 15 or something like that at some point. Because right. like you said, they they can battle back. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to battle back, but um, to get all those extra points, you know, if you're as confident as you are with them getting those seven or eight, you know, all of a sudden you can get it almost right. double that number. That, that could be That could be really valuable. So we'll see what happens with it, but I don't have a play on it. Best luck to you, and I, I hope you're right, and I hope they went out right so my ticket stays alive. There you go. Locked them in at plus eight with my book. Let's take a break, and we'll go to the Tuesday regional finals on the other side. Hey, everyone. It's time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of our program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get it all for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me or us and talk about your favorite team, then head to Blue Wire, or excuse me, make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today to apply. Go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Greg Frank here with you at Undercover Greg for all of my gambling picks. Joined, as always, by my college basketball partner in crime, Bill Christie, at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. Lucha Larry, I asked you uh, last week, before we get back into these regional finals, I asked you last week, and you didn't seem to care about the scheduling preferences, but were you missing the, the Sweet 16 at all Thursday and Friday? You know what? I wasn't. I actually really liked what they have, the matchups here, where you have Sweet 16 Saturday, uh, Sunday, and now we're getting the Elite Eight Monday, Tuesday. Um, I really wasn't missing it. I, I don't know why, but I really like the wraparound here. On uh, on this weekend, I don't know. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I like start. I like. I, there's no better way to start a weekend in March than that. Those Thursday night, you know, games. And I'll be honest, uh, I, I don't think I've ever taken the Friday off after either one of the weekends. But mm. uh, sometimes I wish I would because I love. <laughs> I love that you know, definitely indulge in a few cold ones on those Thursday nights still. And mm. and even if you struggle through to make it through that Friday, then. You go to the weekend, you got four more regional semifinals on that Friday night. So I'm always going to be partial to that schedule. Uh, Monday uh, and Tuesday, uh, you know, it doesn't really uh, do, doesn't do as much for me earlier in the week. I like my marquee sporting events on the weekends. I get it, Monday night football and, you know, the other pro sports schedule, they play all the time, so it is what it is. But uh, I like having my stuff on the weekends if I can. But like we said, beggars can't be choosers and – we're down to the Elite Eight, and, and we got, what, seven more basketball games, right? Four here over the next two days, and then two national semifinals and a national championship. So 
just good to be at this point, and uh, let's keep things moving with the first regional final on Tuesday, um, and that is taking place in the West Regional, where we have the USC Trojans catching nine against the Gonzaga Bulldogs, total of 153 and a half. And Bill, I remember you mentioning this on our podcast last week when we talked about the Sweet 16, and uh, we had both, you know, there were a couple of scenarios where I asked you to kind of guess the line a little bit on potential regional finals, and this was one, a USC-Gonzaga game. And you had said, kind of like you just said with Houston and Baylor, if we get to that national semifinal, you had said for this regional final, hey, you know, if this line comes 3-4, you know, you got to look at USC on the money line just to win the game. And I agreed with you. And USC looked very impressive last night against Oregon. And here it is at 9 in favor of Gonzaga. Obviously, the Bulldogs are getting a lot of respect. And uh, we both said, you know, when you think when you look at the line that big, despite the fact that SC is playing well, you know, gosh, I, I think that even though Gonzaga is undefeated, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at that and say, oh, my God, USC is maybe playing as good as anyone in the country that isn't Gonzaga, and I'm going to get nine points with them. I'll take it. Like, I, I think it's a little bit of a trap. I'm not saying I'm running to the window to back Gonzaga here because I do think, you know, maybe some of those sentiments about USC carry over to this game, but certainly when I saw nine, I said that's Gonzaga or pass. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on this. I, I hate to say it because I, I was looking forward to this matchup so much. And I think I made it to the last pod. Like, if this is the matchup and we see the line come out sub five and what a hammer USC, uh, obviously it's not that. Um, but look, USC can hang with these guys. The thing that I did take away, though, um, from last night's game, USC Oregon, uh, was that USC is susceptible to having like three or four straight possessions where they look really sloppy. And against a team like Gonzaga, that's that's a recipe for disaster. You you can't afford to have those type of possessions, let alone for back to back to back to back, because Gonzaga is going to make you pay and, and make you pay sometimes with a twelve point run with banging four threes in your face um, in transition. Not to say USC can't get it done. I think they do have the ability to get it done. It's just if if they if they have those bad possessions and let Gonzaga get out and run, they're going to be in big trouble. But if this is if they're able to slow the pace down a little bit and allow Gonzaga to have to play within the half court, USC's defense is going to be a big problem for them. They, Gonzaga has not faced a team as long as USC and as strong defensively and as and as good on the glass right. as anybody. So I think that's where you're going to see it. It's going to come down to who controls the pace in this one because if Gonzaga starts getting this USC team to go up and down the floor, they can run a little bit. I'll give them that. They can. Uh, but they're going to be – Oh, no, yeah, SC wants this game in the 70s. Yeah, for sure. So that's going to be the, the kind of the storyline to this game, I think. Um, I, I'm probably going to stay away. Like I said, I, I, I'm just going to really enjoy this one because I think, I think it's going to be a really good game. But like you said, the fact the line's nine, it seems pretty trappy if you're going to take SC in the points – um, so if I guess if I'm leaning anyway, I'm going to probably be leaning a little bit towards Gonzaga, but I got a feeling I'm not going to be playing on this one at all. Yeah, I'm right there with you as far as how you look at this game. Uh, I'm excited to watch it, not very excited to gamble on it because yeah. um, it just is one that, as as we said, the line kind of you know tips you off a certain way, and um, you know obviously Gonzaga games always have crazy high totals and. I haven't really even looked into their over-under splits, but knowing full well how quickly Gonzaga can come at you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Gonzaga put up close to 90 again because that's just kind of what they do. And, you know, obviously you don't want to get into that track meet with, with the Bulldogs. So uh, I, I'm very curious to see how USC game plans and what kind of X's and O's Andy Enfield schemes up to try and give his team a chance. But, Again, I think I'll, I'll – and this is one – I don't have to have uh, dollars and cents on every game to enjoy it, that's for sure. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to watching it, but I, I don't think I'll have a play here. Yes, it, you said that, right? Like you don't always have to have <clears throat> money on the game to enjoy it. And I think that this is a – Money right? on the game, don't even need a team to root for. Like I just Right, like, that's the thing. Because like, if, you know. if you were to take either side of it, right, and this game goes south for you, you're going to be like so upset – because you have money on it, but it could be a great, phenomenal game. You know what I mean? Like, I would right. hate for that to spoil this game. Right. Like, that, I think that's the point. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess on one hand, to counter that, you could take um, Gonzaga minus nine, and if the game's close, just be happy that the game's close. 
But at the same time, then like if you do that, and that's and we're kind of leaning that way. If I do that, like I'm gonna be a little annoyed of like, oh, like this was just a great game, and, <laughs> and I and I and I just thought that the line was trappy, so I took Gonzaga, and now I lost. Like that was, I would not feel good on that end. And if US, if I take USC in the points and Gonzaga wins by double digits, I'm gonna be like, I knew it was trappy, and I fell <laughs> for it. So. Exactly. So I'll stay away on this one. Let's go to the last regional semifinal, or excuse me, last regional final, uh, and that features the UCLA Bruins and the Michigan Wolverines. A total of one thirty-six and a half. We're seeing UCLA catching seven, seven and a half at most shops. A little crossfire to wrap up the pod, Bill. You're going to be on the chalk here. You're back in the blue. Yeah, I am. I've doubted them enough uh, during this tournament. I, I got a feeling that again, UCLA. Another nice run, another Pac-12 school who's done a nice job. Um, but I said earlier in the podcast here, Michigan just seems to be so, so well-prepared uh, for any team that they're facing. Uh, and I think that when you look back at uh, some of these UCLA games <clears throat> excuse me, that they had within this tournament, I don't think they've seen anything quite like this Michigan squad uh, has to offer. I mean, Alabama, they like to get up and down, right? And then they, they seem to struggle uh, – when they really have to hunker down in a half-court type of set and, and run some offense. They like to try and get up and down. Michigan can get up and down, but they can also play really, really well in the half-court. Um, they played Abilene Christian, who basically just holds their hats on the defensive end. Um, they cause a lot of turnovers. UCLA was able to get by them. The BYU team, I mean, I thought they were very, very overrated as far as a succeed. Um, and we talked about Michigan State being, you know, that near 500 squad that probably didn't belong. Um so all that being said, I think Michigan is a much, much better team. The thing that does worry me just a little bit is the fact that uh, when you look at the money lines between this game and uh, the Baylor-Arkansas game, both of them are you know seven-and-a-half-point spreads. And uh, if you were to take Arkansas money line, you're getting 310. If you're taking the UCLA, you're only getting 280. You know, So a significant sure. difference there in the money line numbers, which to me leads me to believe like if – you know, if either team's going to be able to pull off that upset, it seems like Vegas is thinking UCLA is going to be that team. But the line is still sticking around seven, seven and a half. And you're seeing it's, it's obviously early, but you're seeing a little bit of reverse line movement on it, though, um, with the fact that the public seems to like this like this dog a little bit. I'm seeing 60% of, uh, of tickets and a little bit over 60% of the money. Um, and it opened at seven. You know, it only went up a tick to seven and a half. But I like the way that moves uh, in terms of it for the for the favorite here in Michigan. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to have a big play. I'll give it to you. I'm not super super confident on it. Um, I'm probably going to put a unit on it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a crossfire. I like to hear what you got here with the uh, with the Bruins. Yeah, and I'm not <laughs> as confident on this as I am Arkansas. But um, I, my play is going to be more like because I know you kind of hinted at it. You know. A lot of people, myself included, were kind of thinking, all right, well, you know, nice season in all Michigan, but you peaked early and, and now Livers is out and it's not meant to be in the Big Ten. You're, you know, now they're, they're somehow they're the last team standing here mm-hmm. from the Big Ten, and that was something we knew in the, going into the Sweet 16 as well. So, um, listen, right off the bat, again, full props to Michigan for their performance. I said it earlier in the pod here that I thought it was the most impressive of the Sweet 16 wins. Um, and so for that reason, my, I'm – my play is not necessarily going to be against Michigan here, but I, my play is going to be on UCLA. And I think that they're playing their best basketball of the season right now. We talked about them preseason as a team we liked. And, hey, better late than never. I think that team has arrived here. I don't think this is a fluke. I think that, you know, the depth that UCLA has has certainly been on display. And, and you mentioned it, right? Like, obviously, the path here – at least until Bama was, you know, a Michigan State team that barely belonged to the tournament, a BYU team that was probably a little overrated, and a low major in Abilene Christian. I understand that, but the big thing that I took from the path here that UCLA has taken um, was that after the Michigan State game, one that they almost lost in the first four, UCLA really, it looked like they just seemed to relax a little. And the pressure kind of was off them a little. You're firmly in the field. And they just went out and played. And they've won all three games since, you know, round of 64, round of 32, Sweet 16, by double digits. And obviously that includes getting double digits margin in overtime against Alabama. So 
I think there's, and again, I talked about this with Arkansas and just kind of the mental toughness that Arkansas has shown the last couple of rounds to win a couple of close games. Well, how about UCLA? You know, after the ridiculousness of the end of regulation there, to still come back and not only win, but to win by 10 points in overtime uh, shows a little bit about the confidence that is, is emanating within that locker room right now. And I, you know, I, this is just not an 11 seed. Like, they're playing like that team that I thought they were at the beginning of the season, where it's like, okay, they're deep. They got everybody back. Uh, a coach that obviously hasn't made this kind of run, I believe this is Nick's first regional final, but uh, a guy that obviously I think has a lot of respect and uh, is in his second year there, knows all the guys. They bring in Johnny Juzang, the transfer from Kentucky, and it just feels like it's all meshing for them right now. And I think to speak to that point, six scorers in double figures against Bama mm-hmm. yesterday. And that, again, that's Bama, you know, so I'm not sure what, you know, what's this line if Bama wins? Probably three, you know, four, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. So, uh, and UCLA just beat that team. And again, it's not like UCLA got lucky. I mean, they, they should have won the game in regulation. Like, right. they were playing really well. They got off to a great start in that game. And you had a feeling Bama was going to make a run at a certain point. They're a pretty good team, right? We respect them. So I didn't think it was going to be a cakewalk for the Bruins. But the fact that they clearly, you know, I didn't have a, a dollar on that game. But that you, if you did, <clears throat> UCLA was aside and anybody that backed them got rewarded, I just like the form that they're in right now. And I mentioned the six double-digit scorers against Alabama. Some of those guys from Michigan, like they had uh, Chondi Brown and Brandon Johns in double digits against Florida State. But remember, that was a game that, again, they played really well in, but they kind of had to lead the whole way. And I talked about it, how it wasn't that competitive. And so for those kind of role players that didn't get as much run at various points in the regular season, I think it's a little easier for them to perform when you're continually, you look up at the scoreboard and you're always up by double digits. So I don't think that that's going to be the case here. So I'm not sure that UC, or Michigan gets those two guys in particular to play as well as they did against Florida State. Uh, but like I said, really, it's going to be a play on UCLA here. Um, and I think that they're going to at least be able to cover this number. Uh, and hey, at the end of the day, I'm taking the two teams that I think have the best chances to win outright with seven, seven and a half, eight. Arkansas got eight. Uh, seven and a half with UCLA. So I'll take my chances. Um, again, don't love it because of how well Michigan played against Florida State, and they might be turning the corner again and you know starting to look like that team that we all thought maybe at one point was the best team in the country you know, back in January and February. So mm-hmm. I don't love it, but I do think UCLA uh, playing well enough to where, again, it's the team that I thought was going to be top 25 most of the way and end up on the four or five seed line and not an 11. So I'll take the Bruins. Oh, you mentioned my man, Shonday Brown Jr. That guy, I I absolutely love watching that guy play. He's an X factor for this team. Yeah. He's one of the guys that really stepped up since Livers went down. He just seems to provide that spark off the bench when he comes in. Whether it's hustle plays, steals, loose balls, knocking down threes, he can he can play off the dribble. I mean, the dude the dude is is one of the best players off the bench in the country, and you know he's making the most of his opportunity. So you know, kudos to him and. You know, if he plays anywhere he's been playing throughout this tournament, you know, you're not going to see that much of a drop off without this, without Levers in the lineup. So, so Bill, we'll it sounds what, like then with with you on Michigan and Houston that you think SC is the Pac-12's best hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah most okay. I, and it's scary to say because <laughs> they're playing Gonzaga. <laughs> they're playing the best team in the country. Yeah, so we'll see. There he is, Lucha Larry at Larry's Box Two on Gambling Twitter. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter, and give the podcast a follow as well, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Bill, any final words? No, just let's enjoy some Monday night yeah, Elite 8 got- action and then some Tuesday night Elite 8 action as well. I mean, I know you said you, you like having a weekend, but, hey, Mondays and Tuesdays are usually the rough days hey, of the week. Now we're getting some great basketball that's, to that's go with it. That's a way of looking at it. And come, you know, come Wednesday morning, we'll wake up with a Final Four and have – what, 72 hours until the Final Four? Because that's the traditional Saturday-Monday national semifinal and national championship game. So yeah. that part we got opening day coming, too. Opening day, days. that's right. Go Phil. Season starts on Thursday. So uh, definitely more things happening in the sports world, that's for sure. Bill, always fun. I'm sure we'll reconvene to talk in Final Four. Yes, sir. There he is, Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Again, this has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. 
podcast. Appreciate you all listening. And, of course, enjoy the Elite Eight and please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.